just want to honor and reverence the word in this way. If you have your Bible, you can open to Romans chapter 8. I know some of you have just been waiting to get to Romans chapter 8. But let me read there, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. May God bless the reading of his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. Thank you today for the promises of your word, Lord. We thank you that we can stand on this promise this morning that if we are in Christ, there is no condemnation. And so, Lord, we just pray that in this time in your word, Holy Spirit, that you would make this a reality to us. Lord, we don't want to leave here the same way we walked in. And so we just give you uh, permission, Holy Spirit, to uh, put your finger on areas in our lives, Lord God, to, to convict where conviction needs to come, to encourage where encouragement needs to come. We thank you, Lord, that as we approach your word, it is living and active. And so, Lord, we pray you give us hearts of expectation in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Can we give this worship team a thank you as they, they were standing up here for a while and uh, leading us in, into the presence of God. Well, I want to encourage you, if you have the note sheet you got on the way in, pull that out, grab a pen, or maybe you want to just take some notes on your phone this morning. Again, uh, from week to week, it's great when somebody says, hey, pastor, that was a great sermon, but then I'll ask you, well, what stood out to you? And a lot of people were like, I don't know, it was, it was just good, right? We want to make sure that we, we treasure some of these things, that we take them home with us, that we allow the Holy Spirit to, to make them a reality in our lives, all right? Um, we are uh, in Romans chapter 8, which I think is the greatest chapter in the greatest book in the Bible. Uh, Martin Luther said this of this chapter. He said this, if the Bible were a ring, then Romans would be the gem that enhanced the ring, and Romans 8 would be the brilliant splendor that emanated from that ring. And so we're going to spend a, a few weeks, probably four weeks, in this chapter alone. And uh, it's a chapter that begins uh, with this promise that there is no condemnation, and it ends with another promise that there is no separation from Christ. And all through the middle, we're going to learn about the life of the Spirit, one of the greatest chapters, I think, on victorious Christian living. If you're going to memorize one chapter in the Bible outside of the Gospels, this is a chapter I would recommend and again, it begins in verse 1 with that statement. Hopefully you know this. If not, memorize. start with this verse, okay? Start with verse 1. Memorize this verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to understand this morning what a significant statement that is, right? Because remember, Paul has spent the last seven chapters telling us that we are condemned. In fact, he's been telling us that God has the right to condemn us. And, and you and I, we prove every single day by our failures and by our actions that he has that right. And so now here all of a sudden, Paul kind of just drops this statement in our laps, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 
I'm sure as his readers read this letter for the first time, they would have been like, that, that's good. Tell me, tell me more, Paul. Because again, I want you to remember Romans 1 through 7, Paul's kind of laid this out. He's told us that, that God is holy, but man is sinful. And because of our sin, there is a coming wrath. Remember that? We talked about the wrath of God. But there's also a perfect Savior who is crucified and risen so that you and I can be justified by faith and we can be sanctified by that same faith. And then Romans 8 verse 1 just kind of sums up the message of Christianity. This is the essence of Christianity. If we're going to declare anything as, as a church, this is what we need to declare. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, you can look at this verse in, in two parts by asking the question, what is the gift? Okay, what is the gift and who enjoys it? The, the gift is no condemnation, and those who enjoy it are those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when Paul says, therefore, he, he means what he's about to say comes from this logical argument that he's been building. He's saying, I can prove what I'm about to say is true, and here's what I'm going to prove, that with Jesus we can't be condemned. Because Jesus took the punishment for all of my sin on himself, I do not live under condemnation. I know that my past sins are completely covered by the cross. And when the word of God tells me that he has removed my sins from me, know this, I have no right to bring them back up. You see, when I bring up my sin and say, well, Lord, remember I, I did this. No, what I'm essentially saying is that what Jesus did on the cross is insufficient. And hear me, church, you don't want to go there, okay? You do not want to tell the Lord that his plan to redeem your life was not enough. And so this simple declaration of no condemnation comes to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because God the Father does not condemn Jesus, neither does the Father condemn us when we are in Jesus. Are you with me today? Know this today. In Christ, the verdict is not less condemnation. It's no condemnation. The verdict is not less condemnation, it is no condemnation. You see, there are many believers who walk around thinking that their status with God has improved because of Jesus. But if you are in Christ, your standing with God has not merely improved, it has completely changed to a status of no condemnation. Now, why do we need to hear this this morning? Because I think if we're honest, we would say there are times in our lives when each and every one of us struggle with condemnation, Right? We know that when we stumble and, and we fall short, and that's going to happen in, in each of our lives, okay, we know that Satan's just waiting there to condemn us. It's amazing that our enemy will do everything he can to lure us into sin and to convince us that that sin is going to somehow satisfy us. But when we give into that sin and it only brings destruction, the very same enemy who lured us to sin now comes and condemns us, right? According to Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's one of his names, okay? That's how he is described. And I want you to know that's exactly what Satan wants to do in your life. He wants to keep you under this cloud of condemnation so that when you sin, he's going to tell you, you know what, you're just too evil. You're too evil for, even for God himself. But again, he's an accuser and he's a liar. And so we resist the accusations. We counter the lies of the enemy with the truth of God's word. Luke 7, 47, uh, Jesus tells us that the one who is forgiven much actually loves much. And so the more that you and I can realize the huge sin debt that we have been forgiven, the more we realize how much he loves us and the more we in turn love him. Hear me today, it is absolutely a beautiful thing when we respond in the right way when we sin, okay? Because again, the word of God tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful 
and he's just to not only forgive us our sins, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What that means is that when we fall short, we ought to run to Jesus, not away from him. You hear me? We ought to run to Jesus, not away from him, because we realize in that moment his forgiveness and his grace is exactly what we need. And so it's really a mark of maturity in Christ that, when you, run to him, that you would run to him when you stumble and fall. You see, the immature believer is the one who thinks I can run and hide, as if you could hide anything from God. But when we turn to him in the midst of our struggles and we receive his forgiveness, I got to tell you, our love for him will only grow in those moments. And can I just say, Satan hates that dynamic. So he will regularly bring condemnation into our lives in order to get us to think that God's grace and his forgiveness is not enough to cover our sins. And so the next time he does that, here's what I want to encourage you. The next time he does that, I want to encourage you to quote this verse and say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can quote that verse and you can call him out as the liar that he is. And then you can remind him, hey, I've read the end of the book and I I know where you're headed, right? My end is not condemnation, but yours is, right? But I want to make it very clear that this freedom that's available from condemnation is only for those in Christ Jesus. In a lot of Christian circles, we talk about accepting Jesus, right, or accepting the gift of salvation, but I honestly don't think we talk enough about being in Christ. Because in the same way we consider ourselves dead to sin, we also need to see ourselves as being alive in Christ. We need to Recognize that we are in Christ. Paul uses that expression a lot, right? But what does it mean? Well, first of all, it means that we see all that we have as being of him and by him and through him. And so we put on Christ. We walk by his spirit. We Remember, we're no longer slaves to sin. Now we've become slaves of righteousness, right? And so as we remain in him and he remains in us, the result of that, according to John chapter 15, is this, that we bear much fruit. To be in Christ means you have identified with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It means that you reckon or consider your old nature now to be dead and buried. Those who are in Jesus think of themselves as dead to that old nature and alive in Christ. And so last month we talked about the importance of baptism, right? How it really gives us the clearest picture of that reality. And so if you've come to Christ, if you are in Christ today and you have not been baptized, then you need to take that step. We have a baptism class coming up first Sunday of the month, next Sunday uh, after both services. You can come and you can learn about baptism, but this is what it means. Now hear me, uh, as a church, we don't see baptism as salvific, meaning baptism doesn't have the power to save you but it is a very powerful picture of what salvation does, okay? And so if you are in Christ, you ought to be baptized. Peter said on the day of Pentecost to the crowd, he said, repent and be baptized, some of you, a few of you. No, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, right, for the forgiveness of sins. Scripture also says that baptism is an answer to God of a a clean conscience. But more than anything, I, I believe you need to be baptized so that when the enemy comes and he tries to condemn you, you can point back to that day and say, no, 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 I am in Christ. I have identified with him. I've identified with his death and his burial and his resurrection. I have now risen to new life in him, and because of that, I am not condemned. Again, condemnation that comes to those who are in Christ, but when it comes, it always comes from the enemy, okay? And condemnation, when it comes from the enemy, it says you are hopeless, 
But conviction, when it comes, it comes to those in Christ, it comes from the Holy Spirit. He is the source of conviction, okay? He convicts us of sin in our lives. And conviction highlights sin, and it urges us to confess that sin to Christ. Conviction desires to bring us to that place where we receive his forgiveness and his grace so that we can turn away from sin. When you think of the word condemnation, I want you uh, to picture the scribes and the Pharisees. They're about to stone an adulterous woman. That's condemnation, right? They, they were ready to condemn her. But conviction is the picture of Jesus. After all of her accusers had left, what does he say to her? Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. That's conviction. There's no condemnation, but let me tell you, go and sin no more. And and I love this first verse of Romans chapter 8 because Paul speaks here with such confidence. He speaks with such peace. Let's be honest. Last week, chapter 7, right, a lot of, of conflict going on in Paul's life. But as Paul comes to the end of himself and he reaches out to Christ, he now understands his standing in Christ. Chapter 7 sounded pretty hopeless, but chapter 8, tells us where our hope truly lies. It is in Christ Jesus. And I truly believe this, that for some of you, the first step to move away from that place of hopelessness in your life is to recognize your standing in Christ. To stand in the truth of God's word rather than the condemning words of the enemy. And think for a moment how crazy it is that we allow Satan to tell us that we are hopeless. Think about that. That we allow someone who is completely hopeless, right? One who has rejected God completely now to tell us as children of God who've been redeemed by the hand of God and the power of God that we are hopeless, right? But that's exactly what Satan always does. He takes things and he twists them and he relabels them. He calls good evil and evil good. And so be very careful about just accepting what the world says is good. Be very careful not to reject what the world would say is evil, right? Because Satan is a liar, and he will tell those who have hope that they're hopeless. But again, we come against that lie with the word of God, amen? And then verse 2 tells us why we as believers are never under condemnation if we are in Christ. Look at this. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, we, we know what the law of, of sin and death is, right? It tells us that the soul that sins must die. The law says if you, if you fail in one point, you fail in every point. Why? Because God's standard is holiness. His standard is perfection. And so every sin that you and I commit, every cemetery that we drive by proves the law of sin and death, right? But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that as strong as the law of sin and death is, the law of the spirit of life in Christ is stronger. In fact, it's strong enough to set us free. Well, What is the law of the spirit of life, you might ask? You you can think about it this way. Jesus is the spirit of life. That's why those who entrust themselves to him have eternal life, right? John 3, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So again, the law of sin and death says we sin, therefore we die The law of the spirit of life says if we entrust our life to Jesus, if we entrust our lives to what he's done for us, we live. And so the question becomes, what law are you living under? There's only two choices. It's it's one or the other, okay? You, You can't opt out of this thing, okay? Because God is just, you will either pay for your sins yourself or you will accept Jesus paying your sin debt. 
And when you come to that place where you can accept that he's paid your debt, then you can know this, that you're set free from the law of sin and death. You're set free from the consequences of death. And so as believers, even when we stumble and we fall, hear me, we no longer have to sin, right? We are now free, as we said a few weeks ago, we're now free to say no to sin. We're free from the law of sin and death where death no longer has power over the believer. Now, check this out. Verse 1 tells us we're free from the guilt of sin, right? Again, no condemnation. Now, verse 2 is telling us that we are free from the power of sin. Now, you could ask if we're free from the power of sin, why is that fact not more evident in the lives of those who call themselves Christians, right? Here's what I would say. For the most part, it's because we are not remaining in Christ. We're not living by the Spirit. Instead, so often, we're living by the flesh, or should I say, we're living in the flesh. Now, I hope you hear this this morning as conviction and not condemnation, okay? I hope you hear this morning the Holy Spirit drawing you into a different way of living, that you would live in Christ, that you would be aware this morning that he's living in you. We say that a lot, like Jesus lives in my heart, right? We say that so often, but do you really believe that reality that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you? One of the names of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And so when we come to Christ, that Spirit resides within us. And so it's, it's for us to constantly look to the Holy Spirit, right? To the Spirit of Christ to direct our lives. At the same time, we need to recognize that Jesus paid the price for every shortcoming in our life. For every shortcoming today, know this, his grace is still sufficient. Verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Listen, there are a lot of things that the law can do. The law can teach us. The law can guide us. God's law gives us a a very clear picture of his holy nature. The law can let us know what sin is, but it can't give us the the power uh, in our flesh, right? And so because of that, the law can't make you and I acceptable to God. Simply keeping all the rules can't make you right with God, if you could keep all the rules. That's a big if, okay? But you can't. You see, the law is good, but the law is weak. The law is weak to us because we are weak to it. That's what he's saying. The law is weakened by the flesh. The law was never meant to save us, though. Remember Galatians 3.24? Paul tells us that the law was our, our guardian until Christ came in order that we would be justified by faith. The the law is good, it's righteous, it's holy, but it was never meant to justify us. It was only meant to be our guardian until Christ came. The law was meant to point you and I to Jesus, and now we are justified by faith in him. And so what we need, if we realize that, is not another work of the flesh. Rather, we need a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to actually transform us. Hear me, when you talk about victory, that's where we find our victory. When we recognize that every sin that we've ever committed, every sin we will commit was dealt with on the cross, then we see that our sin was already condemned, and now you and I are free from condemnation. And because of that freedom, we now live in Christ, we receive his spirit, and that spirit gives us the power to break the chains of sin over our lives. Now, notice Paul says that Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh, okay? Very important you, you, you understand what he's saying there. He's saying not that he came in sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh. It's so important that we understand that Jesus lived a sinless life, okay? Because then we can see how when he went to the cross, he had no debt of his own to pay, and therefore he paid our debt. Listen, if you have your own debt, you can't pay someone else's debt. 
Like, like you can't go to the bank and you got a negative balance in your checking account and you're like, I gotta pay this guy's debt. And they'll say, are you crazy? You can't do that. You have nothing to credit to someone else's account. But again, Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And so Paul's gonna tell us here what the result of Christ's sacrifice, what it should be. Look at verse four. He says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but we walk according to the spirit. So we see the requirements of the law were met in Jesus. Jesus even said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it, right? And because he fulfilled the law, now that is credited to us. He took the debt that we owed and he exchanged it for his righteousness. And so the righteous requirement of the law is now fulfilled in us, meaning you and I have positional righteousness. God looks at us now and he sees the very righteousness of Christ. That's good news today. That's good news Paul's going to talk more about this, and he's really saying that that Jesus died a sacrifice for us so that our daily lives would fulfill the spirit of the law. Now, how does that happen? Well, again, when we live in Christ, we're no longer slaves of sin, but now we're slaves of righteousness. And because of that, we actually find that that we we do love Jesus, right? We we find that we do love God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength. We begin to love our neighbor as ourselves. You see, as we walk by the Spirit, we actually fulfill the righteous requirements of the law in the way that we live our daily lives. You know what? In my own life, I'm not expecting perfection, and I, I don't say that to excuse sin, but I know that's not something that I can attain this side of glory, okay? At times I try, I'm going to do this, I'm going to live perfect, right? And then I, then I fail, and the enemy wants to condemn me. But I also know this, that if I remain in Christ, if I remain in Christ, I will become more like him. I know that if I obey the Spirit's leading, I will fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. And so I need to make the distinction here that the law is not fulfilled by us, and yet the law is fulfilled in us because of the work of Jesus Christ. The law of God is fulfilled in you. It's fulfilled in me when we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful today that, that Jesus is our substitute. Are you thankful today that he was, he was treated as a sinner so that you and I could be treated as righteous? So that we would walk according to the Spirit and our lives would be marked by this obedience to the Spirit of God and not our own flesh. Hear me, the only way that you can be who God desires you to be is when his spirit rules over your flesh. Again, remember the struggle we talked about in Romans 7. That that struggle will only continue when we allow the flesh to reign over the spirit. When that happens, we will only find ourselves bound by ongoing sinful patterns. And so the focus here in chapter 8 is that that our walk, or you you could say uh, the pattern of our lives needs to be according to the spirit and not the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, uh, live by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. Allow the course, hear me, allow the direction and progress of your life to be directed by the Holy Spirit. Because when that happens, your life will be continual progressive movement. You will be changed from glory to glory. And so here in verse 5, Paul begins to talk about the futility of trying to please God in the flesh. He says this, for those who live According to the flesh, here's what they set their minds on. They set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. It's really pretty simple. If you live your life according to the demands of your sinful nature, 
you will constantly think about those cravings and those desires. Like whatever things are first in our lives, we're going to set our mind on those things, right? And so this becomes a, a very easy way to determine if we are walking by the Spirit or we're walking by the flesh. We see what our mind is set on because the reality is the mind is the battleground where the flesh and the Spirit fight. And so when Paul mentions those who set their minds on the things of the flesh, he's not just talking about outright sinners. I think he's talking about people, some who have very good intentions. There are those who have good intentions who are simply not mindful of the things of God. They're only mindful of the things of the flesh. But knowing this reality, there's this constant challenge for each and every one of us to guard our thought lives because your thoughts are a good indicator of the condition of your soul. And while you and I, we, we can't control passing thoughts, we can make a decision on what we meditate on. We can make a decision on what we dwell on. Maybe you've heard it said, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from making a nest in your hair, right? You and I can do what Paul suggested to the Corinthian church. We can take every thought captive, and we make it obedient to Christ. Meaning we take certain thoughts, and we say, you know what, I refuse that. I reject that. But we can also take other thoughts, and we can welcome them, and we can dwell on them. We can meditate on them. Paul is telling us here that we can control our thought life if we live according to the Spirit. Because again, if we live according to the Spirit, we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. It's amazing because so often uh, when we talk about uh, technology, right? Uh, I got to hear some more of these things, right? We talk about all the ways that these rob us of time, right? You, you're on social media. You're like, man, I've been looking at reels for two hours, right? All the ways that this can rob us. But I want to encourage you. There's also a lot of tools in here that can build you up, right? It, it, the question is, what is your mind set on? If your mind is set on the things of the flesh, you're online shopping, right? I'm going to get that. If your mind is set on the things of the Spirit, you're like, you know what? I got the Bible app. I'm driving. I'm going to let... They're going to let it read me scripture. Think about that. And not only read you scripture, it's got like music playing in the background, right? <laughs> there's, there's all kinds of devotionals we can take a, a hold of, right, and, and participate in. Uh, you think about music, right? We used to have to go find that tape and fast forward it to the right song. Anybody with me? Come on, come on. This young generation doesn't know how good they have it. But you can open up iTunes and just put on worship, right? You can be out for a walk and say, you know what, I'm going to just meditate on the truth of God's word. It's available to us. The question is, what is your mindset on? What is controlling your mind? Yes, I'm talking about mind control. Ask yourself the question, who controls your mind? Is it your flesh or is it your spirit? And look at verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? It's death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. When our minds are set on the things of the flesh, when they're, they're carnally minded, we bring death into our life. So often we bring uh, destruction, right? But when we walk by the Spirit, that brings life and peace. There are those that will tell you to give in to your flesh. There are those that will tell you, oh, that's a good thing. Disney will tell you, go follow your heart. Please don't follow your heart. Scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things, right? This world will tell you, well, if it feels good, well, it must be natural, and so just let it happen. But the Word of God calls us to live by the Spirit. We're called to live a Spirit-filled life, and that is the only life of no condemnation. See, the reason there's so much guilt in our lives is because we are all guilty. And we try to cope with that guilt, and we try to escape that guilt, but the Word of God has a solution. It's simple. Confess that guilt to Jesus Christ confess it, receive forgiveness, receive cleansing, confess your guilt and be cleansed, and then be led by the Spirit 
away from those things that bring you guilt. And the spirit-led life, I want to tell you this, it is worth every single step because you're able to live without wondering, man, who knows what about me, right? What's going to come out into the public, right? You don't have to worry about that, something coming back to bite you, right? But the other blessing of the life of the spirit is that it is a life of peace. Again, it starts with no condemnation because after all, there's no peace if there's guilt, right? If you're still wrestling with guilt, there's, there's no peace. But as you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you, he can direct your life and you can have peace. Can I just say today that peace is not some magic formula? It is available to you today. But you need to understand how it comes to you. It comes by living a life that is led by the Spirit, right? Allowing the Spirit uh, to direct you into what he would have you to do. You know, sometimes we pray for the Holy Spirit's direction, but then we don't allow him to direct us as we're, as we're going, right? Uh, I heard a story of a, a young man. He was in his late 20s. He had a bunch of friends, and he decided to do something crazy. How many of you remember when you were in your young 20s? Why not? Let's just try it. Let's see how it works out. And so he made plans with some of his friends to sail around the world. Now, the only problem is he never sailed before. And so as, as he made the plans, he was a bit anxious. He was a, a little bit uneasy. And so he spent a lot of time, he was a Christian, spent a lot of time praying and, and reading his Bible and just praying, God, would you give me peace? Lord, I need peace. I'm going to go do this. I need your peace. And he felt like the Lord just whispered to him, Tim, I'll give you peace if you read some books on sailing. Like, the reason you're anxious is not due to a lack of prayer, but due to a lack of knowledge. You see, it's not that this man was unprayerful. He was unskilled, Right? And so he took a step that he needed to take in order to let God's peace come into his heart. And he finally began to read about sailing and peace followed behind. I wonder this morning, what is a step that you might need to take in order to let God work peace into your heart? What is he, he calling you to do that when you obey, there will be peace that follows? I just want to encourage you, live in Christ. Live in Christ and begin to obey his voice. Be, begin to hold fast to his teaching. You see, the mind that is set on the flesh, it, it really separates itself from God who is peace. When we separate ourselves from life and peace, think about it. All we have is anxiety and death. Now look what Paul says here in verse 7. He says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Notice he doesn't say the carnal mind or the fleshly mind wants nothing to do with God. No, he says that mind is actually hostile to God. The flesh is hostile to God. We know this. The flesh battles against God because it does not want to be crucified. Your flesh does not want to be surrendered to Jesus. It does not want to live out that verse in Galatians we talked about that those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But I need you to hear this today, that while the law is powerless in this battle to tame the flesh, the Spirit of God is not. And so each and every one of us, we need the power of God's Spirit. We need our, our minds to, to daily be renewed by the Word of God. And when we're directed by the Spirit of God, listen, here's the promise. We will know life and we will know peace. That's what Paul's saying very clearly here in the beginning of Romans chapter 8, that we have uh, this wonderful privilege of living our lives as children of God and being directed by our Heavenly Father. God has chosen to do it that way. If you're led by the Spirit every day, here's what happens. He'll lead you into more and more of that sense of being His child. And, and you'll know more and more that He is a good Heavenly Father. 
that each day that you would feel more and more a part of the family of God. If you will surrender your life to Christ, hear me, and and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you, I'm not saying that everything's going to be easy, but I do believe that even in the midst of the storm that he can give you peace. And and so the question you need to ask is this, is it that way with you? I want to encourage you, be honest. Who is leading your life? Who is guiding what you do? If it's your flesh, be prepared for some rough days ahead. But if it's the Spirit of God, because you've submitted your life to him, then be prepared for peace and blessing. Peace because you know there is no condemnation. Blessing because he will lead you as his child into what is best for you and ultimately what is, what is about his glory. Look at verse 8. Those who are in the flesh will struggle to please God. Is that what it says? Those who are in the flesh uh, might please God. No, those who are in the flesh, what does it say? What does it say? cannot please God. Here's the reality you need to see as we close today. If your life is simply of the flesh, meaning simply of the physical being, or as the NIV puts it, the sinful nature, there is no way that you can please God. Now, I know that's hard for a natural person to accept. Someone might say, well, are you saying that that I need to be a Christian in order to, to do a good thing? Well, I think that depends on what you mean by a good thing. If you're simply talking about helping others, yes, anyone can do that. But this verse is talking about pleasing God. We cannot please God in the flesh. That can only happen as we're led by the Spirit of God. And so I just want to remind you that the heart is a major factor in whether God is pleased in what you do. Like if you go out and you give a meal to someone that's on the street, man, that's a good thing. But it doesn't necessarily mean it was pleasing to God. You could have done it to just make yourself feel better, right? You could have done it to look good in the eyes of others, but when you walk by the Spirit and you're led by the Spirit, you will live in a way that pleases God. What is pleasing to God? It is simply this. It's obedience to what he calls us to do. Would you stand with me before we close with a song? Next week we are going to talk more about what it means to be empowered to, to live in the Spirit. But today, I just want you to see that if you will surrender your life to Christ, if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to lead you, he will give you peace even in the midst of the storm. So the question you need to ask again, is it that way with you? And I encourage you to be honest. Who's leading your life? Who's guiding you to do what you do? The decisions you make on a daily basis, are are, are they with your flesh? And if I can't figure it out, then I'll ask him. Like prayer is a last resort because I, I, I couldn't figure this out. Hear me. Scripture says that we're not to lean on our own understanding. It's not bad to have understanding, but what are you leaning on? Are you leaning on your own understanding or in all of your ways are you acknowledging him? Are you acknowledging the Holy Spirit's presence in your life? We have this tremendous privilege, hear me, as believers in Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. Think about that. Maybe you're here today and you're discouraged. You're saying, my life, I I feel like it doesn't look much like Christ. I feel like sometimes I I, I don't represent him well. Just ask him for his power. Ask him for his strength. He is living within you. And I want to encourage you, be honest. Who is leading your life? Are you led by the Spirit or are you simply led by the flesh? If you want to live a life that's pleasing to God, you need to allow You need to allow his Holy Spirit to direct you. You need to allow his Holy Spirit to guide you. But know today, if you are in Christ, first of all, the verdict is not less condemnation, it's no condemnation. If you are in Christ, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. 
You've been set free from the law of sin and death. And so now, because of that, allow the Holy Spirit to come. Allow him to take up residence in you. Think about that. Again, think about that. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit of Christ living within you. And so now what do we do? You set your mind. You fix your mind on the things of the Spirit. Set your mind on the Spirit, and that will bring life and peace. Maybe your prayer just needs to be as we close today. Holy Spirit, would you help me set my mind on you? Heads bowed around this room today. Before we close with a song, maybe you need to do business with the Lord. Because there's decisions that you're making that if you're honest with yourself, the decisions of the flesh. You're going that direction because you want to go that direction. And sometimes when we want things so bad, we ignore the red flags. We don't care. I want that. It's what I desire. But if you would surrender today and allow the Holy Spirit to lead your life, I guarantee there's life and there's peace ahead of you. And so maybe just let that be your prayer before we close with the song. Just say, Holy Spirit, guide me. Lord, help me to be led by you, not by my flesh. I want to put that aside. Lord, I, I want you to lead and guide my life. Come on, just let that be your prayer. It's a prayer between you and God. You can ask him today. Scripture says if we ask anything in accordance with his will, he will do it. Can I just tell you that's his desire for, for your life, that you would surrender to his leading, that you would surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. Just take a moment. Let that be your prayer before we close today.